Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised, I worship you. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10:17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next several minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. Hi, everybody. I'm Jordan Pine. And I'm Andy Baylog. Let's get right at it. Today, we will study a well-known passage of Scripture in the book of Matthew, about the time Peter walked on water to meet Jesus. Now, if you know the story, yes, he actually had enough faith to do this, but then he started sinking because of his fear of a strong blowing wind. Could you imagine? Peter failed to complete the walk, and Jesus was there to save him from drowning. Christians often fail too, and Jesus is still there to save us. But sometimes we can't tell because the storms of life never seem to stop blowing. So you might ask yourself, how can God allow these constant storms to happen to me? Am I always failing God and others because of my sin? Will my life ever change? Please join us as we will answer these important questions and even more in today's 20-minute Bible study. Let's listen now to the Word of God. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. And in the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, and took hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. That was Matthew 14, verses 25 to 32. As always, we'll begin with the SPACE method, S-P-A-C-E, and that's an acronym that we created to remind Bible students and ourselves to always consider the speaker, S-P, the audience, A, and the context, C, before we attempt an explanation, E, of Scripture. Let's use the SPACE method on today's reading, starting with the speaker, who is, of course, Matthew. This is the Gospel of Matthew. Um, The book is titled as Matthew, and Matthew... Just a little history on him. He was a tax collector during Jesus' time on earth, who was chosen by Jesus to be one of his 12 apostles. The book of Matthew provides a hands-on account of Jesus Christ's ministry, and like all books of the Bible, Matthew wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Matthew is also the first book in the New Testament and is considered to be one of four books that make up the gospel of Jesus. It is considered by us, and also many theologians, 
to encapsulate the theme of Jesus Christ's kingship and predominantly focuses on the kingdom of heaven truths. Okay, now moving on to the audience. The audience is everyone. Matthew does not address anyone specific in the intro of his letter. And like Jordan mentioned earlier, it is considered a historical account of Jesus' ministry while on earth. Christians who want to begin learning more about Jesus often begin studying from this book, and then also the book of John, which is the fourth book of the gospel, if they want to build their faith. Even Jews, agnostics, or non-believers can read through Matthew's book to get an understanding of the events that occurred from Jesus' birth to his resurrection after his death on the cross. And Christians seeking to mature from milk to meat doctrines should study and meditate on the deeper truths that are hidden inside the typology and, of course, the parables that are found written throughout the Gospel of Matthew. Yeah, and of course, uh, the founder of our ministry, Pastor Gary Whipple, wrote an entire book on Matthew called The Matthew Mysteries. That's uh, because of all those parables in Matthew and some of the really interesting and d- deeper things in that book. How could some of our listeners maybe find out about that book? Oh, they can go to our website, Andy, motk.org, and just look in the resources section to find that book. As for the context, it's the middle of Jesus Christ's ministry uh, prior to the cross. Um, the Sermon on the Mount has already been recorded. That's in chapters 5 through 7. And that was directed, of course, to Jesus Christ's disciples, those who sought to know him intimately. Jesus Christ has already commissioned the 12 apostles to go out and preach the gospel of the kingdom that occurred in chapter 10, but the gospel of grace, which will stem from his sacrifice at Calvary, has not been established yet. We read him instructing the apostles, quote, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So at this point in history, Jesus wanted to give God's people, the Jews, an opportunity to repent. Um, Today, Christians study these verses deeply to learn about repenting in order to attain the reward of entrance into the kingdom of heaven. So there's also a repentance message there for us. Yeah, Jordan, um, you know, in case some of you at home or some of you listening have never actually heard that there's the kingdom of heaven or the, the gospel of the kingdom. Basically, gospel, meaning good news, is that what Jesus was announcing to a group of Jews who were, in God's eyes, already considered the saved of the day, right? Right. So there was no church at this point. You were either Jew or Gentile. Right. So if you were Jew, in a spiritual sense, you belonged to God. And what Jesus was telling his apostles at the time, the chosen 12, was go out and preach to the Jews only the gospel of the kingdom that the king is ready to come in, and all these things that you learned about in the Old Testament, about the king leading his people into the promised land, is finally here. So, you know, the key is, and we'll talk about this a little later in the message as well, is that Christians today, in a spiritual sense, need to understand that there is also a a kingdom of heaven for us, that we're not there yet, but there's going to be a time when Jesus will be the king of the Jews, which is in the future after the rapture, where we need to repent now. We need to go back and and go to our humble ways and righteous ways and walk the straight and narrow path so that we hope that we can attain to admission or being entered into that kingdom. Yeah, so he, he preached repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand to the nation of Israel to have a national repentance. Yes. And that was his first coming. Um, and of course, they rejected him. So the kingdom then ended up not being at hand. Of course, that was all God's plan. But now, as we approach what we believe are the end times, and we see a lot of signs of that, which we can talk about, um, the message again is to the 
the dominant uh, saved people of the day, which is the church, that we should also individually now repent, consider our sins, turn back, which is what repent means, and, and remember that the kingdom could be any day now, so we should be working, doing good works for God. Yeah, every one of us have, you know, one hang-up or one sin, I'm sure, that we could repent from. And, you know, the, the less sin that we commit, the more righteousness that we seek and strive for, the reward is great, so it's all worth it. Yeah, and one of the pieces of uh, context here is in chapter 13 of Matthew, Jesus Christ explains to his disciples that they are chosen by God and blessed to understand the parables and what they represent. He says to them in Matthew thirteen eleven, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And that's, of course, where we get the name of our ministry, Mysteries of the Kingdom. But to them it has not been granted. So here Jesus is drawing a line in the sand, if you will, between the average Christian and true disciples. Very good, Jordan. So now we know who the speaker is, we know the audience, and the context of our scripture reading. So let's attempt an explanation. The key verse to examine in this passage of scripture is 32. And that verse reads, And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. For sure, thousands of people have studied and commented on these specific verses of scripture about Peter walking on the water with Jesus. But as all disciples should do, let's analyze these verses by looking at the facts. Now, it's obvious and true Peter walked on water. He noticed the wind growing stronger. He lost his faith for a moment, and then he began to sink. Now, everyone also knows that Jesus takes Peter by the hand. He comments to Peter on his lack of faith, and then they both get back in the boat. But what is not obvious and often overlooked is that the wind didn't stop even after Jesus grabbed Peter's hand until they both got safely back in the boat. Oh, interesting. So there was a time period between Jesus grabbing Peter, the wind was continuing, because Scripture specifically says it was not until they got back in the boat, then the wind stopped. So even after Jesus held Peter safely, the wind continued to blow on both of them. Peter's faith failed. We know that. And often so does ours. And I think what God wants to teach the reader and us, of course, is that the winds of danger in our lives will continue to blow even when we are safely within Jesus' grasp. Being saved by Jesus does not mean that our lives will go perfectly as planned. And it doesn't mean that we won't make mistakes either. This is all God's design. He knows this. Yeah, so Andrew, that, that raises the question about what we can learn from this little story and this insight that, that will change our lives as Christians. And one answer is that when things in our lives really go haywire, that should be seen as something more than, more than meets the eye, right? Christians just know that, you know, we're being spiritually attacked sometimes. And, you know, because God's omniscient and knows everything, he knows what we're going through. So I think Christians understand this truth already, and, uh, and yet we still tend to fall on our faces, if you will. So did you ever ask yourself the question, for example, how in the world was I so blind or stupid to fail what was obviously in retrospect, you know, God's test on something as obvious as that, right? Yeah, all the time, Jordan. I mean, you know, here's a suggestion. Whenever we ask ourselves that question, and we all do, consider this one as well. When failure is beyond our control, where in the Bible does it ever say that it's a sin or that that's a reason to blame others or ourselves for failing? You know, God's will and purpose is for this lesson, after all, I think for sure. And how we respond to failure is always revealed in our words, in our actions, in our thoughts. It's how we respond. And that's what God is trying to get out of us, our response to it. Yeah, what we do by our actions um, ultimately may result in regret, but what we do by our faith could result in reward. That's important to keep in mind. Um, In any case, here's the big picture, what we're really driving at, I think. 
You know, God has called us to be victorious in Christ and not defeated by man or defeated by self-doubt ourselves. You know, when we play these sort of what-if games and anticipate thoughts of failure, it can definitely cloud our spiritual vision. And, you know, when we fear the unknown, we fear the outcome, and thus we fear taking that next step. This especially applies in spiritual things. Yeah, for sure, Jordan. And, you know, here's the truth regarding that. If you really believe God, if you believe his word, and you know he's calling you to something greater, then your feelings of fear are not only valid, but they vindicate that you are passionate about what you're doing. I mean, am I right or wrong? I mean, otherwise you wouldn't care, and then your calling would only be an idea, not a burning mission in your heart. So learning about these deeper things in the Bible, you know, it should raise a red flag, right? You want to make sure that, hey, is this, I've never heard this before, and you know, this is a calling for you to possibly have fear. It sounds great, but I'm insecure about this. And, you know, how do I take the next step? Yeah, I, I think sometimes it can be tiresome to hear from the pulpit or even from our friends that, you know, if you have thoughts of fear or you're unhappy or you're underconfident, you know, in who you are as a Christian, then there must be some sin going on. And, you know, okay, I, I hear them saying that, but where is that really in the Bible anyway? You know, in the Old Testament, remember the story where Job's friends came to him and tried to justify why he was in a bad place. They tried to explain away his fear and his circumstances and some friends they were, right? They really didn't help him much. Yeah, exactly. And if that sounds familiar to you, then you're not alone. And, and that's the point. You're not alone. Yeah, I mean, don't forget God's will was to allow Job to suffer the way he did, all for the sake of testing his faith in order to reward him many times over later on in his life. Right. So, you know, you might say, well, that was Job. I'm not Job. I'm a Christian that's overwhelmed with life. I'm saved. And since then, my life has just got harder. I don't understand. You know, why shouldn't I just go back to my old ways of life? I mean, that's, I think, commonly what happens to the average Christian. And my answer to that is this. We need to always keep our eyes on the reward. Look forward and never behind at the past. It starts by regaining our confidence in Christ. I think that's where we all have to start with. And, you know, let's look at two scenarios from the Bible to maybe kickstart that regaining our confidence. First, Peter taking a walk, and then Peter taking a swim. <laughs> right. So in Matthew 14, 22, Jesus encourages Peter to get out and walk on the water, as we read. And as you remember, he takes a few steps, he hesitates, he panics, and then he falls through the waves. And then Jesus reaches down, rescues Peter, and pulls him into the boat. You know, the concept of the story, Andy, is not so much about Peter's fall, as it was in Jesus' actions to demonstrate compassion and also redemption. And remember, there was a gap of time here where Jesus had Peter, and yet the winds again did not stop. Yeah, Jordan, for ourselves, let's never forget this earthly life is way too short. I mean, it flies by. The older I get, I realize that. Yet our life in Christ is unmeasurably long. Unmeasurably. It's forever. So squabbling and nitpicking over other people's faults, and uh, or minor details in a non-eternal issue, is it really worth it? The same is true in blaming ourselves. It's not that important. Right. Yeah. And in John 21, Peter and the disciples were fishing now. Let's, let's jump to the other example. And you know, Jesus calls them to cast their nets on the other side. And when Peter realized it was the Lord, he jumped into the water to, to go to him, right? So here we can see two perspectives. On the one hand, Peter could have been embarrassed or maybe displeased with himself for not catching fish in his own way. On the other hand, he could have been overcome with joy that the issue no longer mattered to him, right? And, and I believe that what Peter experienced was found on the other hand. It was that joy. 
Yeah, I mean, we see here Peter exclaims, it is the Lord. He didn't hide. He jumped right into the water and swam to Jesus. And you might ask why. Well, he knew the Lord was there to receive him, not to reject him. He probably remembered the previous lesson that probably ran through his head of him falling through the water, you know? So when you read the rest of the story, Jesus not only receives Peter gladly, but he esteems him. You know, yes, he held him accountable, but he did not hold him in contempt. And that's a big point. And God knows our weaknesses. He knows all of our strengths. He knows exactly what every one of his children are going through. And he always has his eyes on us. Don't ever forget that. He promised, and is, he is not a man that he would lie when he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yeah, so here are some biblical points to consider. Number one, God has called you to do good things. That's in Romans eight twenty eight, which reads, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Yeah, that's a good verse because if you look at the world, uh, the word all, it's all encompassing. So he causes all things to work for good. Even the bad things that we go through, it's always for our benefit. He's an awesome father. He loves us. And, you know, just like the scripture says in, in New Testament a few times that those who Jesus loves the most, he chastises. And if you're being chastised on a daily basis, and I know I am quite often, it's because he loves us. Yeah, it's a great point. It goes back to what you were saying earlier. You know, if your life seems to have gotten harder after salvation, well, that's actually a blessing in disguise because it's a way for you to grow spiritually and, and to earn those rewards. So that was number one, God's called you to do good things. Number two, God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. And we see that in Ephesians 1, 3 to 5, which reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Yeah, I love those verses, Jordan. And a couple words that really jump out at me specifically is, number one, that God chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world, that he predestined us to adoption, and that this was all part of his will. So everything we're going through, you know that you believe in Jesus Christ by his grace, you know that his Holy Spirit is sealed within you, and you also know the road ahead is is difficult, and staying on that road is the hardest part of kind of as you meander through life. God is constantly on a day-to-day basis, even when we least expect it, trying to mold us and chip away at our old nature just make us shine because there's something great that he has prepared for us in the future. Point number three, God is committed to completing his work in you. And we see that in Philippians 1, 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Yeah, I mean, and there's another point there. Um, ex- exactly what we were talking about earlier, Jordan, that again, if, if the times are hard, and they should be, right? We, every Christian should be going through hard times, probably harder than anybody else in the world. It's the Christian that's struggling. We all have our own struggles. We all have our own, quote unquote, cross to bear. But remember, he started a good work. He blessed us with his son. He blessed us by writing our names in the Lamb's Book of Life from the foundation of the earth. And he will perfect that. He will mature it until the day of Christ. And then finally, point four, you are not finished yet. And we can see that in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. You know, these are classic verses that we always refer to. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then it adds in verse 10, 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Amen, Jordan. So I think that's self-explanatory. And, you know, in summary, I think what we need to do is, is ask ourselves often, and I think we, we have to realize that that's going to be that moment, that key point when we realize, okay, I thought it was going to be easier with Christ by my side, but considering the verse in Matthew, even though Jesus reached down and saved Peter, there was a gap of time. It could have been 30 seconds. It could have been 30 minutes where Jesus had Peter by the hand and he walked him to the boat. And during that time, the wind was blowing pretty hard. Important enough for us to know because scripture says that, and the wind didn't stop until they both got in the boat. So question, what is God's will for us? Yeah. And, you know, I think the answer to that is that what it's, well, first of all, what it's not, right? It's not found in our, our next job title, our church, our house, our loved ones, our ministry, or any other thing. His will is found in his word, and his word will become life to our bodies. And of course, if you're searching, we always advocate that you go to the word to find God's will for you. And here are two different perspectives from the word that concerns God's will from you. I'll, I'll do the first one, Andy. You know, Romans 12, 1 to 2 says to transform your mind and give your body to God as a living sacrifice. So that's one. Um, yeah, and also number two is 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, which says to abstain from immorality and remain pure. You know, we must remain in the Father's will, connected to the true vine, Jesus Christ. That's John 15, 5. And in step with the Holy Spirit, which is Galatians 6, 8 to 9. So there you have it. There is a trinity, and we should take delight in trusting in his ways. Yes, Jordan. And, you know, the only true fear is being without the Lord during the millennial kingdom. And, you know, the bad side of that is, according to Scripture, is that people who are not with the Lord during that thousand years will have their bodies and their souls actually perish in Gehenna. And that is scriptural for 1,000 years. And now you could read about that in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. You know, the, the famous prime minister of England, Winston Churchill, once said, a pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity. An optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. Great quote. God wants us to be optimists. I mean, take every difficult situation we're going through. Now that you're starting to see the end game of being a Christian, it's not just about getting to heaven. It's about working and striving and suffering so that we could be joint heirs with Christ. And that's scriptural. That's Romans chapter 8. I mean, it's there. Um, It's why we strive. It's why we have, you know, the power and the will to keep going through all our difficulties in life. Yeah, you know, I think one of the great points that you've raised here, Andy, is that the um, people don't understand the doctrine of works might have, they, they might have grace, they might understand grace, you know, saved by the blood of Christ. And then because they don't understand the doctrine of words and the need to work for something, which as, as we've been describing is toward the kingdom, they, they're surprised, as you mentioned earlier, by the fact that everything's not going smoothly, that the wind blows and they're supposed to fight the wind, you know? And I think that that's, again, it's, it's just, it's, you have to understand there are two parts. There are two salvations. There's the grace part and then there's the works part. And the works part is going to involve difficulties you must overcome. Yeah, that's perfect, Jordan. Good point. Well, what we learn about Peter, you know, coincidentally with what you just said, besides the shortcomings, is seeing ourselves in his shoes. We are much the same. You got to think about it. Yet we need to seize the opportunity. You know, what we learn about Jesus is, is gaining an understanding of his compassion, his patience, and of course, his encouragement that gives us joy, which according to the Bible is our strength. You got to have joy. And that's Nehemiah 8.10. 
The joy of the Lord is our strength. That's what's going to give us fuel that we need to get across the finish line. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Don't forget to visit our website at 20mbs.org. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple, to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show, and to Tom Pine for our scripture reading. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.